We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Third down and two. Here's Hunt. Kareem Hunt picks up a first down. Into the end zone for a Browns touchdown. Third down and 17. Jackson in trouble. Down he goes again. Browns with touchdowns on their last two possessions. The flexion picked off and taken back by Newsom. Newsom stayed in bounds. Touchdown. Hopkins from 40 for the win. It is good. They pick up the flag. What a comeback by the Cleveland Browns. They trailed 14 nothing early have come back to defeat the Baltimore Ravens. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Tuesday podcast. That means you're going to get a what we learned uh, hitting leadoff on the show because, again, I think there's so much you can take away from every game. So we're trying to draw in the biggest things that we learned about the Browns or their opponent from this game. So I welcome in Andrew Spade as usual. What's up, Andrew? Yeah, Jake, it's uh, it's been a fun sort of 24 hours here because, uh, we, you know, we're, we're recording this later on Monday afternoon. And, uh, but yeah, so we're, we're 24 hours off the, the, the thrill of victory. And so you start to, the, the emotion of it's worn off a little bit, but still just, I think the part that I'm enjoying, uh, the most today, I, I mean, I think you would agree with me that it was a definitely a muted response by national media in terms of what the Browns accomplished yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of that, um, we can look at the schedule, the schedule and the standings ourselves, and we can kind of do the math. So at some point, if the if national media wants to faithfully cover the NFL, they're going to have to start talking about the Browns because they're doing yeah they're doing their best yeah here. like but mathematically the Browns are going to make it impossible after a while here because the schedule gets easier. I know people have heard that a lot, but I I swear it's true. And they're already six and three, so like that they're the Browns are relevant. And they are not being treated that way by a lot of the national media. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. It's probably a different pod. We don't want to get into that. But I'll just say, Andrew, there was a pod where they called him a piece of shit. Like, oh, the guy hosting yeah. the show mm-hmm. basically said the win for the over the Ravens was 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 a bigger concern for the Ravens because like he, he called him in a way a, a piece of shit. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, which whatever you can feel yep. that way. But like drawing that into your NFL analysis yeah. is really blinding people. And it's, it's unfortunate. We knew yeah. it was coming. Right. We knew it, mm-hmm. but seeing it is kind of like yeah. guys, like you can't. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I'll say it's, it's disrespectful, not to him. I don't care about that. 
it's disrespectful to the other 52 players on the football team yeah, and the staff, coaching yeah. staff and yeah. the front office and all the fans because this team is about a lot more than one player. And I think they've proven that this year because they're a good football team and he's been peripherally involved at best. Mm-hmm. So to not talk about them because of him when the majority of what they've accomplished is despite him is it it's disrespectful to everybody else involved with the team and the fans. And, and as you said, it's also not helping them do a good job of analyzing the NFL because there is a story in the NFL right now about how tough and uh, unquittable. That's the, about the worst word I've ever come up with on this podcast. Just resilient. Uh, you're resilient. Thank resilient. you. Jeez, you saved yeah. me there. How tough and resilient the Browns have been. And nobody's, nobody wants to tell it because they're associated with Deshaun Watson. And it's, so they're just not doing their jobs well at this point. And it's really something to watch. I think that when we, when the trade happened, a part of the optics of the trade, I, I know that I know you and I weren't specifically together potting back then, but I know that with people that I talked with, this was going to happen. It was going to happen. It was always a part of the tax of making the deal and people being, you know, how quickly the Browns went to this national uh, nightmare. Uh, uh, like they just were the butt of every joke. And they still are, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny watching... When Deshaun Watson has a bad first half, the guys who love to pounce on that and bring up the contract and the picks, and they do it all the time, and because it's free and it's going to get you some clicks and engagement, and that's cool, whatever, you know, but they never go back and rewrite it. Because yeah. there have been times like the Washington game last year where Watson had that, that poor first half, but then had a totally. great second half. And we're talking mm-hmm. about very real splits in the first, second half, which is something that we'll get to more this week where he is among the worst NFL quarterbacks in the first half, but is putting up among uh, quarterbacks with just 85 plays. And that's not that low. That's a decent sample size, a fourth quarter play, second half plays. I should say it's more broad than fourth quarter. He's putting together one of the best EPA and CPOE numbers in the league. So uh, I just, you know, there's not a bunch of editing going on on those tweets. And, and, And again, the perspectives are tied to it. Right. Because you ignore it until you have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, you're listening to a bunch of gushing happen about Minnesota and a bunch of gushing happen about the Texans, to which I understand because Absolutely. those are great stories. Mm-hmm. The Browns are also in the midst of an, yes. a, 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 like you said, it's not even like Watson is playing top 10 quarterback and you have to yeah. keep going in and talking about him over. Right. And you know, no, you're talking about largely mm-hmm. other players for a portion yeah. of the season and the coaching staff. So, that that part of it is frustrating. It really, again, I had kind of tweeted last. It means nothing. It, it doesn't mean anything. But part of what makes the experience fun is when the people who study the league as a whole bring up your team and what they're doing and give you some perspective on whether you are silly or right, like, you know, about how you feel they're playing. So that part of it is a, a bummer. And now that's here. We talked about it. It's in our lap a little bit with how this is going to go. And you made a great point, Andrew, that the schedule is going to force these people I mean, the the I think the uh, guys over at formerly Football Outsiders. I don't know what they're doing now. You maybe know it better than I do. Yeah, it, the, shots is with FTN Fantasy. That's where they're it. posting the stuff. But it's really just at this point, it's basically just Aaron Shots. <laughs> yeah, he, he is the talent. So yeah. yeah, they they posted today or he posted today that the strength of schedule remaining. I think the Bengals were first in terms of toughest schedule. The Steelers were second, or the Ravens were second, and it's like first, second, ninth, and then the Browns are twenty fourth. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, the Browns, it's not that doesn't guarantee because, you know, playing teams, different times, different health statuses, all of that to come. But like they have a very real shot at this division, which is what Andrew and I tried to prepare you for when we when we talked about this in the pregame and how cool this win would be is that, you know, the 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 dueling AFC North battle, which I mean, Cincinnati, if they lose this game Thursday is putting themselves in. I'm not calling it an impossible situation to make the playoffs, 
but they would put themselves in a really challenging spot to overcome at the at minimum. And then you get the Ravens on the other side who would fall to seven and four. I mean, all said and done, the Browns have a chance to be leading the division this weekend. That's it. And you go. That's why that game was so important. You go from really essentially being out of the race to win the division to potentially leading it that quickly. You would have split with both those teams and have a chance to go. And you'd only have one more game in the division. That's right. Right. That's mm-hmm. the crazy thing. You'd have Cincinnati at the end of the year. So um, it's huge. The game was huge. Mm-hmm. You felt really good about how this team res- responded. You know, you're talking about the resiliency of them. And then you go listen to perspectives and it's just, yeah. you know, poo-pooing over what Deshaun Watson is or he's not meeting expectations or your name yeah. calling him. It's like, all right, man, I get it. You don't like the guy, but you you got a real opportunity here to talk about some other people being successful. Yeah. And you're really missing that mark because you can't get the image out of your head. That's the thing. It's it, again, like, like you said, if Watson was playing top 10 football, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he was dragging a bunch of nobodies you know, to, to wins every week, then I totally get the reticence to celebrate what he's doing. Yep. But the Browns are, you know, yesterday he was great in the second half. No, no denying it. But for the most part over the course of the season, the Browns are doing this in spite of the quarterback position. Yeah. And even yesterday you've got the, the fifth string tackle, right? You've, you've got the, the guy that's been with them less than two weeks playing left tackle. You've got James Hudson. You've got, you know, Jerome Ford kind of coming into his own a little bit. There are stories on offense and that's not even to talk about the defense, which did a good job of shutting down the front runner for MVP in the league a week after they held a team to 52 yards. And I think the defense, even at this point, is getting slept on because they are still the best defense in the league. They're at a historic pace still in a lot of the metrics, and they can't even make it onto shows. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they gave up 17 points. It's a punt yeah. return, and it's a it's a knocked right. up ball in the air. They gave up 17 points to an offense who gave, who went for a 35 burger against Detroit. It just put, I don't know, close to 40, including 300 rushing yards on Seattle. Yes, like this is, I it's whatever. I yeah, these things will come to roost. Like it's going to happen. It's going to get there. But again, when you're just looking around the league trying to have those fun moments that you don't always get as a Browns fan. They're not there yet. And it's like, how can they not be when these guys are doing this over a Mm -hmm. large sample size? Like Mm -hmm. so annoying. But anyway, we trudge forward. I think that the league uh, will. (laughs) We'll just have have to make it all ourselves. We'll we'll be your national source for all Browns talk. Well, at least we'll try. I I, I don't, the thing that's, I leave it staying up last night, listening to it because I really, I do enjoy. I was right there with you. Yeah. Like I, I just found myself mad that, that people who like to hear about their Browns in that way, you know, I don't really care what some guys have. I mean, it, it doesn't change my view of the team, but right. I'm just like, man, for the enjoyment of people who tune into this stuff, this is really frustrating because you're basically giving Baltimore every excuse and it, mm-hmm. it continues to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it was really sick for Roquan Smith to have 21 tackles. That was, oh, <laughs> that was awesome. Really great. None of them mattered. Yeah. You get, really you get great. told for nine, 10 months that counting stats don't matter. But then when, when a Raven does it, it's like, this is the, we got to celebrate this. They're the darling tackles man. and a loss. That's huge. They're the darling. So I haven't, I haven't even really seen anybody call Lamar for playing bad. He was no. awful. He was awful. Yeah. That no. interception into the end zone that he threw when they got the lucky holding call. Yeah. That was awful. Mm-hmm. He was bad. He was, he was and pressing that, in the second half for sure. And I haven't seen a single person say, Hey, Lamar was really awful. And mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm not looking hard enough, but whatever. All right. So here's the six things that we have as far as what we learned, right? Um, we're trying to dig past some of the things we put on yesterday's show. So bear with us a little bit. Some things we brought up, but whatever. Jerome Ford can handle it. Like, 
I think he's a better back than the day. I don't think Jerome Ford is a great running back. It's, 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 it's early in his career. I don't think he has anywhere near the innate skill that Nick Chubb carries or what we're used to seeing. So with, and he's not as much a bulldozer as Kareem, where Kareem is just perpetually fall forward mode. You, he gains a yard or two extra on every carry. So the style is different than what you're accustomed to with Nick. The skill level drop off from Nick is there, but it doesn't mean he's one of the worst running backs in the league. Whereas people in the last few weeks have started to use this advanced data to which I don't blame them to say he's one of the worst backs in the league. And I don't view it that way. I think he's a very competent running back. They put him in the gun a lot in this one. He 13 carries for 94 yards in the gun, which is where I think he's best suited vision wise to see the field. I think he just does a better job of feeling pressing and attacking from the gun. If a guy lives in the gun in high school and in college, and then, and then they're asked to get under center, it's a different line of sight, traditionally different schemes. So it's an adjustment period. I think he's talented, Andrew, so it was really good to see him get some of those moments. And uh, obviously, we've seen him be an effective pass catcher at times, too. So I, I'm I'm far from, you know, give up on Jerome Ford mode. I, there's something there with Pierre Strong, though. He's just not getting any opportunity. So there's either they don't like his run style or he can't, you know, be where he's supposed to be or the pass protection stuff is so awful that they can't figure it out. Because a lot of what the Browns did yesterday, Andrew, was a lot of pin pull stuff from the gun, quick toss, get out on the perimeter you know, hook and turn type stuff. And that's what Strong had been doing for them a little bit more. He's kind of being pigeonholed into those carries and he didn't even get those. So um, Jerome Ford played and I thought the guys played in front of him. I think we could all agree if you watch you watch Brian Baldinger. I mean, we haven't done chalk talk ourselves yet, but Baldinger was gushing over the Browns O-line. I thought they did as well blocking the run game as they have in any game in particular this season. And I thought Jerome was simply reaping the benefits of guys in front of him playing better. So I think Jerome's competent. He's, he's, he's firmly like... Uh, He's firmly like a B, and yeah. that's and that's what they need. Like they yeah, need work. a B running back, right? Yeah. Until they either draft another guy eventually, or Nick comes back next year to to maybe be a, a nice version of what he used to be. But that's that's uncertain. But they just need a yeah. steady presence alongside yeah. Kareem, and I like the balance, man. He does he does deserve credit for doing a better job of of getting what's blocked right than than he has at other in other games this year where he has refused to kind of see holes available to him and has at times run up the backs of his offensive linemen or, you know, try to uh, break it outside and he doesn't have the speed to do that reliably. So I, I think this was for sure his best game. And yeah, like you said, the, the offensive line is, is this was something we talked about both, you know, around the bye week. And then again, when we were kind of taking stock of things through the first half of the season, how the offensive line needed to improve. Well, Doing what they did yesterday against the Ravens on the road is that that's it's, I I don't even want to say that's the standard because that's maybe a little unfair right because it, it exceeded the standard it was that yeah. is is as impressive of a performance I think as you can have I mean I know that there were there were pass protection struggles so I don't want to like gloss over that especially in the first half but considering the uh, adversity they're facing I think they deserve a ton of credit for being ready for that for that game and so. Um, well, that's our yeah. second point, Andrew, is that they can find a way. You know, yes. they yep. have been down a tackle before, right? They've lost mm -hmm. Conklin through the season. They've had to start Blake Hans. They've had to start Hudson, yep. right? Yep. Hudson started, I think, the start of last year, Hudson was starting. the. First yeah, he was replacing games. Conklin, who was coming yeah. back from that weird so knee. Was it like a patella, I think? Uh, you're right. So it's not uncommon here, right. but they've never been down two mm -hmm. and their next guy up. So that would have been that's like it. in years past being down Jed and then being down Hudson. Mm -hmm. So right. they put themselves uh, in a real bind here 
and their ability. And sh- again, shout out to Jaron Christian, like playing really good football. And it's one game. I think that, you know, we're talking about Jerome Ford too. It's an up and down young players up and down. You're going to have good and bad. I think Jaron Christian's probably gonna have more bad than good. That's why he's been on a lot of different teams, but he was good yesterday. So we give him the due credit for being good enough to win a football game. And it was good to see the Browns. Like, I think that you would agree with me here, Andrew, in times they've, they've just had these haunting moments with these backup tackles where uh, whether it's the, again, sorry, James Hudson, but that Pittsburgh game years yep. back, um, whether it's the the Chargers game where the tackle play cost them with hands a couple years ago too, like they've been down tackles and it's been a reason that they lost. I did not find this to be a reason. I thought they, I thought they schemed it up pretty well. They helped them. They chipped with those guys. And I thought, to be honest, Andrew, the part of the whole, we have a plan thing Kevin was leaning into they really encouraged upfield clowny Kyle Vinoy Odafe Owe rush. Mm-hmm. They said, rush upfield, think you're going to beat these guys upfield, and then Watson is going to step up and slide out. And he stepped up and slid out of the pocket all day long, yeah. all day long. And it was, it was a result of good runs. It was a result of good throws. Think about the Elijah Moore touchdown throw. They got a lot of that stuff off of, I think, a design to say we're going to eliminate inside rush wins and we're going to encourage upfield, even though at times that will force us out of a scheme because the quarterback can't set and you know process it and let it happen downfield. But we're willing to do that because we think Deshaun can step up and feel comfortable and slide out and then make plays with his feet or his, his arm. And I think it took Deshaun a little while to feel into that. I think you would agree with me. Maybe the mm-hmm. ankle injuries lit, lit a fire. I'm not sure. Uh, it's just sort of funny how multiple times we've seen the the injury within a better version of him kind of happened, but I thought he got a feel for it. And once he got a feel for it, they were pretty dangerous uh, with, with the approach. And they, and they really got after like either Deshaun was throwing that thing quick, caught a lot of over the middle balls, caught a caught one to Njoku on a third and 11 hit a, Elijah Moore on a third and eight. I think he hit a, a real chunk play in the late first half on just a, just a quick, a, a little quick answer to Amari Cooper on a basic over the middle that turned into like like a 25-yard gain too. So uh, when you see what their plan was, we're either getting rid of this sucker quick over the middle because we think that's where the Ravens are vulnerable, and they were. They attacked the middle of the field really well. The Ravens shut down the sidelines, but over the middle of the field, the Browns did damage. Or Deshaun is stepping up, sliding out from that top of the drop moment. You hit that top step. Either the ball is out, my friend, or you're stepping up and sliding out. And I thought it worked pretty well, man. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it, I think you you point out the the reasons why really well, which is I think definitely part of it. I think Browns fans can remember Jadavian Clowney doing this when he was in Cleveland, right? He just mm-hmm. he likes to get upfield, and he will take that he'll take that cheese, so to speak, every time he can. I think so. I you know I don't I don't I'm sure it didn't hurt that they have a, a really solid familiarity with his game, right? Like they know what he yeah. wants to do, how he wants to win, and if you can use that against him, I think they did. Yeah, and and I think. Make, it makes sense too, from the perspective that you've still got your starting three interior. So, you know, if you can neutralize interior pressure and create those lanes for Watson to step up, you know, there you go. So it, I thought it was a, yeah, a, a, a very clearly a, a great game plan. Yeah. As you said, a, a plan for what personnel they had. Yeah. I like to listen to some Ravens perspectives and I listen to a podcast because anytime they play the opponent, I like to hear what the opponent has to Definitely. say. So they were talking about that was a pretty clear defined approach Cleveland was using and they, the, the, the Ravens just had no answer. Mm-hmm. They're not a spy team, so they didn't do any of that and it really hurt them. And then the Browns with that, I talked about on the show, the postgame show that that chip release stuff 
the Ravens are such a drop heavy team. They hit their landmarks and they're getting where they're supposed to get, man. And like, if you watch that play with David from the first matchup to the second matchup, it was a clear point of emphasis where they had David chip. Like David was literally blocking the end and mm-hmm. release. It wasn't a screen, mm-hmm. but it was a part of like, Hey, it's like a, it's almost like a, you know, block release seam where he then kept and Deshaun just literally high release arc drops mm-hmm. it to him on third and 11. He makes one guy miss kind of over the middle of the field. And David's so hard to get down. Like I, yeah. that's where he deserves real credit this year. He is a yak monster. And he's he that, gets, that's new. I think it's tied to the the places he traditionally catches the football totally. over his career, but they're giving him some space in the underneath area. And it's like, that guy's a freight train, man. And they're really yeah. trying to get him involved. So I, I just really thought their game plan was clean, uh, stacking and understanding the limitations of what they had too. So yeah. kind of wanted to say that, but I, 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 as we close the offense, we do have to talk about the strange nature of the slow starts. They can't keep doing it. <laughs> it like they really cannot keep doing it. So yeah, uh, it's fun to have these conversations after you win and you, and you pull off your Oak stuff, but you know, yeah. we don't, we, you can only do it so many times. Like we're talking about, it's the same thing with Pittsburgh, ironically coming to town where mm-hmm. this team just keeps having this formula of getting, giving up more than they're getting and somehow finding these miracle answers. The Browns aren't necessarily, they're earning it more than I think Pittsburgh is. Whereas I don't mean to disrespect Pittsburgh because I don't know, maybe they're listening and I don't want them to hear it, but like <laughs> they, uh, they, they continue to just get these gifts right, yeah. where it's like, yeah. I thought the Browns went out and earned some of these, but like, I, I just think that you you can't keep doing this. It's ob- it's obvious talk. I know they're talking about it in house, but and I don't have the answer, Andrew, because it's 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 bizarre how under Kevin's entire tenure they've been such a good script team and then sort of struggled off script. But it's so reversed this year. And even Deshaun talked about that, Andrew, when he talked about their adjustments in the post game. He said something along the lines of. You know, we were we were getting out of plays because of their pre-snap look, and then they were rotating out of it, single high to two high or vice versa, and then taking advantage of getting out of uh, us out of those looks. So by the second half, we decided to just stick with it, trust what we called, and even if they, uh, you know, gave us one look, we thought that they were going to get another. It was it was a part of their plan to get the Browns out of some plays based on pre-snap, and they said we're just going to stick with it is how I interpreted what Deshaun said and ignore the pre-snap look because we know they're going to go to something else. And I think like, I think that was a really important part of hearing how they're adjusting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know at times, man, where like, if I want them to be a better adjusting team or scripting team, you want them to be the best of both worlds. But I do think being a better adjusting team gives you a chance for a better long session, like, you know, getting seven points in the first, you know, yeah, or even 14 in the first rush of the game is great. But if you're out of answers by the end of the game, that's not a fun place to live either. And I prefer that they be better at adjusting and I'll give them credit for being better at it. Just be average at the beginning of the ball game. <laughs> you got to just, you got to keep yourselves in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, my, my thought on it is, is that it, if it was just as, as simple as Watson, maybe, you know, there was always that thing that people would say about Brett Favre, right. He would come out into the game. So, keyed up that his first two or three throws would sail over his receiver's head and it's like oh that's just Brett you know he's too fired up and he needs to settle in and then he would and you know the game would go on but it's it's not really that it feels like Watson is not uh settled mentally right as much as it's about the throws being off it's about 
he, you know, yesterday it was about getting to the top of his drop and he's looking at the rush before he's looking for wide receivers. Mm-hmm. And you see that. And it, it honestly, I mean, I think we were all going through it in the first half yesterday. It's, it's, it's shades of the worst of Baker Mayfield where you're, you're watching a guy who just doesn't know what he's seeing and doesn't feel comfortable to stand there and deliver the ball. And then in the second half, it's night and day. And so I don't, fully understand you you mentioned the ankle injury earlier you know is that part of is there is there some component to that is there something about like his pregame mental stuff that needs you know tweaking I don't know I mean all I know is that if you could have the second half quarterback for the entire game for the rest of the season you know you you wouldn't put a ceiling on what the Browns can accomplish I I agree start the differences it could have been a feeling out process the last two weeks where he's feeling out his first game back first live action in a while. I'm giving excuses here to what it could be. Sure. Yeah. This game, he's trying to feel out the tackle play, this plan of step up, slide out, move out of the pocket. Does that coincide with, Oh, also I need to sometimes stand in and deliver. So there's some of that that could be going mm-hmm. on, but that's just excuse making. You got to find ways to get it done. Well, so it just looks, it looks so scattered and I'm so it looks so broken. And it's hard to believe that the same offense can look both of those ways in in one game. So that's if it was just as simple as being a little bit inaccurate. It's like okay, that I can I can get with, but yep, the, it's so stark that it. Um, and and here's the other thing: you 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 kind of you're playing with fire every time you do this, right? Because you can you can try and come back from a 15 point deficit every week, but I I don't think I would recommend it. No, I'd urge against it. Yeah. It's hard. It makes yeah. the game, makes the game hard. I mean, it's fun at the end. If you win, you get some of these memorable wins. But yeah, they they can't. They know they can't live this way. But they have to act on it, right? They have right. to actually do something yeah. about it. And like you said, credit to them for figuring it out. Indeed. Now the 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 example here on the flip side of that is Pittsburgh, right? Where you mm-hmm. where you couldn't figure it out, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do it. You're gonna have to put it on display here. Play better early. It would be really nice for them. Who I don't have it in front of me, Andrew, but I don't think their opening script success has been anywhere near what it has been with Kevin the past three years. So uh, that's something for us to dig up, but that I think they've just been off now again, quarterback play. I get it tied to that, but like they have not had many opening drives yielding a ton of points. Uh, we'll leave it at that. And they, they, if they could get that right, if they could get themselves moving in the, in a better direction in the first quarter, you're talking about a team that could, <laughs> you know, go, you go from fighting to get back in games to just kind of keeping pace and then, and then taking over, as you get better as the game wears on. So we'll, we'll see. And I also think we need to do some research about Deshaun as a quarterback in general in his Texans days. Was he a slow starter there? I think that would be something worth checking into as well. Because, again, you would take a better second-half quarterback than first half every day of the week, but you can't have a guy who's absolutely awful in the first half and then is is uh, trying to make up for that every single week in the second half. That's a dangerous formula. All right, quick hits on the defense. Turnover luck is changing, right? Like. Mm-hmm. We talked about this. They're too good to not have turnover luck because they're too much. They, they they put a lot of volatility around the quarterback. They put a lot of pressure in the secondary. It was just a matter of time before these things shifted. And we saw a real shift, right? I mean, uh, as far as getting a, a jump deflection off of a helmet, that's great. It kind of balances out the weirdness of the Kyle Hamilton tip ball to himself thing where that 99 times out of 100 goes to the ground or goes downfield too far or behind him and lands like, just wild and it was funny hearing Watson say like what the f in his post game press yeah, conference about I enjoyed that, that immensely. It was, it was just kind of funny like that that's the reaction we had man <laughs> exact same one. <laughs> yeah. Um but the turnover luck is switching but the big thing I want to hit on here is Miles is um even in games where he doesn't dominate start to start to finish which he didn't in this one. There were moments of 
that the Ravens were doing a pretty good job of either doing dialing up some run schemes that were important for their concepts and kind of working away from him or Lamar is again, Lamar is trying to get rid of the ball quick often. So that alleviates some of the stress on uh, their tackle play. But what I'm noticing is the big moments and this is what's going to define him, right? The team is going to like to win defensive player of the year. You obviously have to have the counting stats, which we're going to talk about. He does. Uh, you have to have those, but you also have to have these big moment plays. And I think at times, like like Miles has lacked some of the big moment plays that draw people to this love for T.J. Watt, which is, again, just sort of the comparison sake, because T.J. Watt's probably the guy he's competing with directly for this award. I don't know if there's anyone else, Andrew, off the top of my head. Um, am I forgetting a guy who's probably up? Micah Parsons. That's, that's Yeah, the, those are kind of the three. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Max Crosby is having a hell of a year with the Raiders, too. It's going to be yeah. hard given their record, but he's he's in the conversation. For sure. So those are the guys, but like you need the, the signature wins, the signature moments. And I think that Miles deserves real credit. And I know you're going to talk about it, but like the moment in this game where they needed him the most, he shows up multiple times, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's figuring out that sense of a moment, which great players yes. in all sports do, right? Uh, you can think about uh, hitters in baseball that deliver in clutch moments, right? You know, uh, or uh, obviously LeBron, one of the greatest to ever do it in terms of He's, you know, he is not at peak every play, especially in his later career, but when he's needed, he shows up and, and is sort of undeniable. And that's really where Miles is now. It, you know, yeah, you're, you're right. This was not his best game start to finish. And it, I, I, that's understandable. The Ravens have a good offensive line and a hell of a plan. You know, I mean, Todd Munkin talked openly uh, last week in, in the press conference about building his entire game plan around neutralizing Miles Garrett. Like that was his primary focus was how do I get 95 out of this game? Uh, so for, to still show up and have a sack and a half in two plays back to back at the end of the third quarter, when the Ravens were in field goal range and you take them out of field goal range with those two sacks beyond taking the football away from the quarterback and running it into the end zone. That's about as big as you can get in terms of not only ending a drive, taking points off the board, getting your team, the ball back. Those are all the things that you want from, the defensive player of the year and and his sense of the moment is really starting to develop in a way that you start to trust it right we talked yesterday about you can start to trust this team to show up on a weekly basis i think fans should be trusting miles garrett to show up when the chips are down because that's what we're seeing week in and week out is that even if he is you know getting double teamed out of the out of the game and the the other team is focused on shutting him down. He still will find a time. You think of that strip sack for a touchdown against the Colts where he fights through two blockers and still gets it done. He, he basically has in his arsenal the ability a few times a game to do like feats of strength out of like a ta Tales of Hercules, right? Where he's lifting a boat out of the water and throwing it or, you know, some crazy thing that's like people don't do that. And he does it once a, once a game. And of course, there's always going to be fans out there like, why don't you do that? If you if you can lift a car over your head, why don't you lift a car over your head every play? And it's like, well, maybe it's, it's probably pretty hard and and maybe not possible to do that every down. And, but, and uh, adrenaline driven. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's like it's specific to the moment because he knows his spidey sense is tingling that this is the moment where they need me the most and I'm coming to the rescue. I'm going to change the momentum of this game myself. That and then the ability to go do it and deliver on it is a skill in and of itself. And he's really starting to develop that. It's really exciting to watch. Oh, it's beyond exciting. And I think a big concern with miles was, would he ever be consistent? Could he stay on the field? And like, 
You're talking about some historic stuff he's doing. Yeah. Six straight seasons now, 10-plus sacks. Give me the names of guys. It's not a long list, and it is a <laughs> list of guys who are going to be going to Canton someday, but he is doing yeah. unique stuff here uh, at the, at the poor, large portion of his career now. It's all Hall of Famers, with the exception of Jared Allen, who I think we would both agree is on his way. It's Reggie White, John Randall, Demarcus Ware, who just went in this year, Jared Allen, Bruce Smith, and Lawrence Taylor. So it's unbelievable. Like, a who's who of the best pass rushers of the past 30, 40 years. It's a, it's unbelievable. I think again, we're, we're taking it for granted and and I I'm trying not to, yeah. I know that you all out there maybe are trying not to as well, but there's some people who still will try to complain about, you know, miles in certain situations. It's like, you can't even do that anymore. Like he's, he's, he's unbelievable. And uh, you know, saying all the right quotes about wanting to retire in Cleveland. And like mm-hmm. you are in the midst of, that athlete you search for generationally, you got it with LeBron. He came back, and I know that was a rocky road, but like with Miles and the Browns, yep. it's not a quarterback. We all want the quarterback, but you're getting the non-quarterback, and you're even getting it with Nick to an extent here of just a special totally. run of of people and player. So, mm-hmm. you know, shout out to Miles, and God, I hope this second half of the year goes right for him to win the award he so I w- I was, rightfully yeah. deserves. Man. I was just going to say, talking about consistency, Eight more games, Miles. Get to the finish line. Stay healthy, brother. You know, stay on that field. Keep doing this. It's like just knowing to wait for it when the Miles bell rings and he shows up. That in and of itself is so exciting. It's going to happen this Sunday. You can you can almost set your watch to it. End of the third quarter, start of the f- fourth quarter. Kenny Pickett's going down. I can't wait. Look forward to it every week, man, the special stuff that he does. And then lastly, we want to hit on Jim Schwartz ain't changing, brother. This guy played 29 (laughs) snaps a man. He said, all right, Lamar's been really good against man the last three weeks. We don't care. We're going to uptick the man in this game. We're going to play, you know, 29 snaps a man to 20 snaps of zone. Because, again, I mean, the Ravens only had 50 plays. The Browns kept him off the field, which is a huge part Mm -hmm. of probably something we're not talking about enough, which is that the offense was on the field so much it kept the Ravens at bay because – What's the best way to keep Lamar out of the end zone? Hey, don't yeah. let him get on the football field very often. So they were d- deep into the um, man coverage, getting aggressive. And uh, on top of that, they they blitzed 10 times. So they got after him, which is fun, right? Because uh, of all those plays, uh, only two – actually, they had three pretty positives, but they, uh, you know, on the other ones were not effective. So, you know, even again, a couple things. Like even when the, the officials were calling it tight, right – pretty clearly illegal contact of holding calls. He said, we're just going to keep doing what we do, what we know. And from that, you know, faith in his secondary, even comfortable doing it to the detriment at one time of, of Mike Ford giving up the Odell touchdown, which is again, not that bad of coverage. Just Odell yeah. had just enough left in the tank to beat Mike Ford uh, and, and, and yell his entire way into the end zone. And, if and that's Denzel Ward, game. that might be a pick. I mean, again, waiting on the fine that that if you go back and watch that Ronnie Stanley hit, that is as as ugly as it gets non football play type stuff. Mm-hmm. So that that is the stuff rough. that has no place in the game. No, that is an awful play. Yeah. So good to hear that Denzel is uh, is checking in with a minor neck strain, I think, is what we what we read. So he's he's on track to be back. But, you know, Denzel and head injuries, neck injuries is never something we're comfortable hearing because he's dealt with it so much. But, yeah, I mean, like even you're down. You know, Cam Mitchell's not playing. You lose Denzel mid-game. He's like, I don't care, man. Like, we are who we are. And I think that when we're talking about Miles and and we're talking about how special he is, to not have the entire burden be on him anymore. And really now, like, of a half season of, oh, they might have the best front in the NFL. Like, like Ogbo's playing out of his mind. Zadarius is such a good compliment. The Mm -hmm. interior guys, one week it's Hurst, one week it's Elliott, one week it's, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's Tomlinson. They are 
they're like I, I saw somebody post a clip on a third down, the late third down, Lamar's last though of the game, Andrew. He has it's man coverage. They're willing to do this because they know they don't have to defend in man very long. Like he he gets to the top of his drop and Z has run through the right tackle. There's pressure coming on the interior. He can't even see Zay Flowers get open deep down the field. And Zay lost his man. I think it was a safety trying to cover him. He lost him. But there's no chance like that. I think that for us to say, well, invest in the front. It should be a big part of what they do. Invest in it. Do And then they did it. And you got to see the reward from it. Like seeing it every week and taking your 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 LeBron and actually putting him with it's like taking LeBron. I hate using the reference, but I think it's something we all understand. It's like taking the pre Miami LeBron and surrounding him with the post Miami back in Cleveland talent where yep. you're seeing like, oh, OK, when we put this talent around this really special player and mm-hmm. allow him to play off of these guys and those guys to play off of him and thrive, this is a special special front and we we need to cover it better here at the obr so i'm going to try to write on it but like what they're doing is 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 changing the game and you can't always tell because mm-hmm. you can't see downfield but like there's these moments of guys coming open and the quarterback has no chance to find them because yep. the pressure is so overwhelming and schwartz is comfortable doing it dropping seven times to- players at times he is very willing to say i'll spy two people play man everywhere and just let the front four eat that's how good they are, man. And like that is, it is, it is really fun. It's really fun. And probably it's talked about, but still probably overlooked. I just kind of want to reiterate it because no, I, yeah, they're, they're they're great. I, and I, you know, Jake, I, to me, this takes us back to where we started this conversation about the national view, right? Because I, as I said, then I don't think the defense now is, is even getting enough attention for what they're doing, especially what you talked about series conversion rates, the number of times that they get the other team off the field. I, I, you know, there is something specific about that stat that this defense is excelling at, and it's there above pretty much historical trend of what defenses should be expected to do in terms of how often they force the other team off the field. The Ravens last yesterday were two of eight on third down. The Browns were nine of 18. It, it, do, it does not get any starker than that in terms of a difference between two teams. 75 plays to 50. Yeah. They, they they played. They're tilting the, the entire playing field. Yeah, I mean, when that's complimentary. Now it started ugly, but it got really complimentary, man. And mm-hmm. yep. that's fun. It's just yep. really fun. And you look back on it that that formula for them. And as Deshaun keeps getting more comfortable and hopefully better as the year wears on, you really have a chance to compete with the best of the best. And this is yep. an, a shining example. And and that's when, as I said at the beginning, this is when the national folks, other teams, are going to find out about this team. Right. When when have guys like Mahomes, the best quarterback, struggled? Drop seven can get yeah, home. Yeah, exactly. Four. Right when you when you can cover everybody and and still put pressure in their laps. Yeah, I know we don't talk about playing the best teams in the NFL because we never really entertain the idea, but we're entertaining the idea of. Like, I'm very entertained by the idea. Uh, it it is very much a team that can give fits to the best offenses in the NFL, and yeah. I can't wait to see when those uh, and they, we we just saw it the ravens were one of the best offenses in the nfl yeah, leading absolutely. into this game absolutely. and they they again 17 points is is what they essentially gave them mm-hmm. defensively so yeah special stuff good opening andrew really good good uh, session here of what we learned yeah. and you would expect this type of stuff after a win like that but it's always it's always fun to talk through it so appreciate you buddy yeah i know this is a thrill and I, as i said like the where this can go machine is in full is in full force right high gear right now Highest gear we've had it since week one. So that's right. 
be prepared for some positive podcasts. You know, we, we, we hashtag that around here when we get to them. So <laughs> we're in the thick of them. All right. So, uh, yeah, quick word from our sponsors and then we'll get over to the usual data from the comprehensive side. So stick around for that if you want. Thanks to Andrew again. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, so you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that Game Time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, so we switch over, talking comprehensive breakdown now. Starting with the offense, data gathered. I see the Browns with uh, a real return to their 11 personnel trying to lighten the box where Jerome Ford had 100-plus yards on on six guys or less inside the tackle box, which was really encouraging to shotgun run, spread them out, and take advantage of those situations. So 
Again, 11 personnel, 62 snaps of 78 recorded. Now there's some penalties mixed in there, but I just wanted to give you a true feel for what that looked like on the field. And then 12 personnel for nine snaps, including quite a few as the additional offensive tackle on the field, which was Leroy Watson, and then 13 personnel for five snaps. So uh, that's what it looked like personnel-wise. 21 of those snaps came with motion, so not a very high. Under their average, the Browns are 24th in the NFL in motion percentage, so they were under that. I think they wanted to keep things very static and give Deshaun clear reads of what the zone coverage was going to look like. Run schemes-wise, the Browns' best usage of the day was eight pen-pull runs. So those were the most effective, averaging 7.2 per carry. A lot from the gun where you would see a tight aligned, uh, you know, usually the X or sometimes the Y and two by two sets. And then they would quick toss into, um, you know, just from the gun, quick pitch, toss it to the back. And they had some really effective runs from that look. Inside zone was on nine snaps, including five of which came with split, which is the tight end slicing across, kicking out the opposite edge. Outside zone for four snaps, so that was a big decrease. The Browns went away from that, which against the Ravens, I think, is a pretty sound logic. Power counter, only three of those snaps, one of which resulted in 12 yards, but not a huge one. They had one draw concept for uh, 28 yards, which was the best Jerome Ford run of the day. And then uh, I think I have five lead, sorry, six lead concepts. They like to run G lead down on the goal line, which if you watch Chalk Talk, which is taking the front side guard, kicking out the edge, and then having Nick Harris, the fullback, up and through, and then having a nice little pathway that resulted in the Kareem Hunt touchdown. They ran that short yardage. They ran one Harrison Bryant sneak on a fourth and one for two yards first down. But that lead scheme is what they like to run short yardage. They ran it three times successfully, including five yards to set up the final field goal. So... Uh, that's the look. You did see five read schemes in, ter- in terms of quarterback reading it. I'm not sure. I talked about it in Chalk Talk again. I'm not sure if they were actually doing RPOs. They were doing stick flat stuff a lot off of the RPO looks, but I'm not sure they were reading it this week. Uh, I think they were, but Watson very hesitant to throw it. So just something to keep in mind um, about maybe adding and wrinkling in a bit more of those read concepts. So uh, the the 1.5 yards before contact per rush was phenomenal. That's a great number to have. They weren't as successful as the Ravens after the rush. Sorry, after the contact where they were like 2.8 after contact, and, and the Ravens were something hovering around four uh, four yards on there. So that that's a point of contention though. But the Ravens were down at 0.83 yards before contact. So that tells you how the Browns were, you know, messing up you know a lot of their run schemes, including early contact after the. The early portion of the game, they handled that. They handled that really well. So to be able to put up twelve rushes of ten yards, have that positive EPA per rush, which was uh, a big thing, right? Because the Ravens are a dominating run team lately, and the Browns were the team that dominated the run phase. And this one, the Browns had a seventy percent defense rush success rate, which we'll talk defense in a little bit. But it was the Browns' rush game that that really dominated from an EPA perspective. Watson was a negative point zero four and an EPA per dropback number. Whereas, uh, again, much better than Lamar, who was, I think, a negative .22 EPA per dropback. And Watson was you know, sort of aided by the running. But, again, his running was very pointed and, and resulted in some big plays. Uh, the Ravens got 39.19% um, pressure rate, which was a little higher than the Browns. But the time for the pressure to arrive was a little bit later than the Browns' pressure. So the Browns had 11 pressures and 50 snaps on defense. 
but theirs got their quicker 2.6 time to pressure, and they converted three sacks on that number, so the sack percentage was higher for the Browns. So very, very encouraging stuff uh, when you're looking at that data specifically. The, the Ravens are unique, man. They play a lot of a lot of nickel this year, but they play a diverse set of coverages. So they played seven snaps of cover two, th- uh, 19 snaps of cover three, which the Browns are pretty good against the cover three stuff. They played 20 snaps of cover four, seven snaps of cover six, and then I think they played 20 snaps of cover one man. So they were very diverse in this one to give the Browns some fit. So that's definitely of note. And I just think that what the Browns did, they knew the time situations to hit the quick throws when they needed to, be patient for the check down release stuff against drop coverage in specific situations. And I thought that they had a really nice feel for the the adjustments necessary in the second half to find those three drives, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, where they took advantage of pre-snap to post-snap looks, knowing whether they were getting man or zone and the ways to attack that zone. It's been a popular talking point on social about the depth of throws for the Browns in the second half. They just calmly adjusted to what the Ravens were allowing the Browns to do. Their drop coverage is saying, we are going to make you throw underneath and nickel and dime us up and down the field. We're going to eliminate big plays. The Browns stopped forcing some of those throws downfield, completed the underneath stuff, and it was an effective pairing to their run game to stay on schedule and create long drives and keep the Ravens' offense off the field. It does not make you a lesser offense if you're completing short throws that are resulting in early down success and putting yourself in front of the sticks and converting those third down short throws. So like you can be a, a person who craves the downfield throwing, but if you're finding success throwing underneath because defenses are encouraging that as a means to say we're vulnerable there, but we don't want you throwing downfield, that's how it goes, man. That's called game planning. That's what the Browns did. They put themselves in great positions in the second half because of it. But people out there, agendas to push, so on and so forth, uh, will like to try to use that against uh, you know the Browns' uh, second half success, comparing them to the Steelers as a means for how they had to go about winning that game, which is just really an asinine opinion uh, that was found on social media on uh, Monday night. Anyway, shifting over to player grades, um, most snaps from this one, 78 across the offensive line, um, and then you had Watson play the one less Obviously, P.J. Walker came along, but 72 Amari Cooper snaps. He's on the field nonstop. And Joku, 68. Cedric Tillman, 66. He was on the field a ton. Elijah Moore on the field a ton, 65. Jerome Ford with a massive uptick in opportunities, 50 carries for him, 28 snaps for Kareem Hunt, and then 24 snaps Harrison Bryant. Nick Harris, 7, essentially as a fullback. He did some inline stuff occasionally. Only 5 Jordan Aiken snaps, 3 from Prochet, Two from Leroy Watson, then we talked about the one snap uh, we saw from P.J. Walker to throw the Hail Mary, which he got hit on, so he couldn't even make the the, the necessary throw. Um, so Watson gets a 60 grade, largely because the first half was really rough. No big-time throws, no turnover-worthy throws. He did have two drops against him. We're going to talk about that. He uh, ended up with four sacks, four throwaways, seven scrambles, but 12 first downs. So some encouraging stuff built in there. The 9.3 A dot obviously goes down because of the second half, but that's how they had to sort of approach it. It was very unbalanced, and we're talking about like the first half rough stuff. We're talking about Andrew. like He's among the best second half quarterbacks in the league. They got to find a way to be better earlier in the game, and I think that's a talking point for the script stuff that they just have to get 
have to get better at. Uh, actually, Watson's best pass grade was when he was under pressure in this one, four for nine, 57 yards and a touchdown. His interception came when he was kept clean on that tipped throw, 16 of 24, 156. Just sort of average marks across the board. When he wasn't blitzed, he was 14 of 25, 126. And then he was 6 of 8 when, when he was blitzed for 87 yards. I thought he was really effective against the blitz. And again, but that's all you're looking for. Taking care of the football, you know, outside of the tip turnover. But just average quarterback play right now is good enough. Right? That's good enough. Play action, he was 3 of 4 on 7 dropbacks, 44 yards. Non-play action, 17 of 29, 169, a touchdown interception. They only completed 3 screens for 17 yards. A little bit of a downturn in that, and I think teams have been sniffing that out a little bit. I, I wonder if they're going to reel that back into action against Pittsburgh. And then non-screen, 17 of 30, 196 and a touchdown interception. He was 0 for 4 on anything over 20 yards, so that's his worst grade. Medium was much better in this one than it was against the Cardinals. 4 of 6 for 78, and much better in the short where he was 11 of 14 for 98 and a touchdown. So... That's encouraging to see that bounce back up. Again, I think the deep ball stuff can be very variable-driven at times. Targeted Tillman a few times, just missed Cooper once. So, I mean, I think this was an encouraging game from Watson, encouraging to see him perform the way he did in the second half. I think you feel pretty good about how he came out of this one, kind of that same vibe, getting the same feelings back as he once had when he's dominating games, right? So you're encouraged by that. On the receiving side, Jordan Aikens gets the best grade. He had one target, eight, 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 eight total yards, and 89.1 receiving grade. Amari Cooper, again, led the, the group, and he was great. Six of eight for 98. He had 12 slot snaps, 35 outside snaps, so they're continuing to be diverse with him. And Joku, 20 snaps in the slot. They're using him more in the slot. He's just a big slot bully, man. He had 20 snaps in the slot, two snaps out wide, and 22 in line. I think that's the perfect mixture for him. He gets six of nine targets. He catches 58 yards and, and that's 61 yards of yards after catch, which is phenomenal. I mean, he's got to be among the tight end leaders there. Elijah Moore, five of seven, 44. The target distribution really strong in this one. He has the touchdown. I like it. T Cedric Tillman had a couple targets. Harrison Bryant had two. Jerome Ford had one. Nothing noteworthy there, but those are your guys, you know, who, who played the predominant amount of snaps and who got the most targets to slot for uh, Elijah Moore 17 times. Cedric Tillman also played the slot 18 times, so moving those guys around a good bit. I like Elijah Moore 17 in the slot, 25 out wide. That's kind of my preferred angle there is to is to go that route. Maybe Cedric Tillman's your if you're if you're doing a lot of two by two, three by one spacing, he's your guy who is going to be like a, another wide receiver, a big a big slot, right? I think that that can be an effective role for the Browns. Hopefully, can get Tillman a little more involved. Run game stuff, Jerome Ford, a 73.9 grade. Watson, a 63.4. And then Kareem Hunt, a 58.0. Uh, Ford missed, uh, made three missed tackles happen. He had three 10-plus yard runs, one 15-plus yard run, that 28-yard breakaway. He did not get a very good pass blocking grade. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But... Uh, out there a ton, thought he did a nice job, 70 yards after contact. Um, you know, I think, again, designed rushing yards, 107. With Kareem Hunt's 32, you get 140, you chip in. You know, what Watson was able to add, you get to 148. He had a 37 total. Again, Kareem, 32. You get to 178 total for the game. That's that's a really good output, and I think just opportunistic from Watson on the scramble stuff. So you, so you really like that. Uh, it, it nine zone carries for Ford 
seven gap schemes, Kareem Hunt, seven gap schemes, three zone. It's pretty clear how they prefer to use Kareem and gap stuff. I think that's quite obvious. And the shotgun run stuff was what was most effective. I tweeted about it today, man. The the, the difference between what they did in the uh, under center work and what they did in the gun was very stark, right? So I just want to remind everybody what those numbers were specifically. Under center, 12 carries, 31 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. Shotgun, 24 carries, 147, 6.1 yards per carry there so encouraging that the gun run light boxes is is starting to pay some dividends I thought Wyatt Teller played really well had an 82.3 pass block grade allowed one pressure uh looks like Jerron Christian had the second highest pass block grade where he had uh two pressures sorry two hurries three pressures allowed he did give up one sack but he fought really hard Betonio he gave up four pressures Matabuke Justin Matabuke from the Ravens is a lot to handle he graded out 71.3, 70.7 for postage, who gives up one pressure. And then Hudson was probably the sloppiest of the group, 61.6, five pressures allowed. So that all sort of adds up to me in the pass blocking phase. So kind of want to go through real quick, talk about true pass sets, because, you know, I think those matter more. Teller, 82.8. You get Christian with the 65.0. And then 66.2 from Batonio, 67.8 from postage. So... Um, you know, most of 12 of the 14 pressures were allowed in true pass set situations. So those those third and predictables, that's where the Ravens were able to tee off a little bit. But I thought the Browns combated that pretty well. I was encouraged by that. Um, and the one sack allowed as a part of the offensive line. So they only gave Garon Christian the one sack. Watson is credited with some other sacks where he kind of worked into into pressure on his end. So they only allowed uh, gave up one sack allowed is what the note, note is there. So run blocking stuff uh, from a from a perspective collectively, Harrison Bryant had a really strong day grading on his eleven run block snaps, the top of the board, and they gave Cedric Tillman some strong marks in run blocking as well. I thought he fought, especially on the perimeter stuff. He fought really hard. They actually gave uh, Hudson a collective forty four point one. They gave Teller a fifty five point zero, Postage fifty eight point three. Uh, Batonio 61.1 and then Grant Christian uh, got a 63.1 so they're telling you that those guys were average not many missed tackles forced not many yards created above expectation but they they're telling you that the Browns didn't actually run block very well so all right some data is worthwhile some data is uh is not switching over to defense now um you know, 25 snaps in nickel, 22 snaps in base, only 10 in dime, kind of going that route with the pressure stuff that they like to pair with it, third downs mostly. The Ravens are just so unique personnel-wise. 21 snaps of 11 personnel, 4 of 12 personnel, 20 personnel, which is Patrick Ricard, 7, 21 personnel, 24 snaps, and then 22 personnel, too. They just do a bunch of different stuff at that spot, right? So... Um, I want to talk about how they, you know, what they did to Lamar, the pressure stuff I thought was really unique, um, the way they were able to create it. Only 49 registered snaps for the defense. So the top players, I'm sorry, uh, actually it was 50 total if you take away the no plays, but 54 with the penalties tied into it. So Martin Emerson was on the field for 54 snaps, Delp at 53, Miles Garrett 51. Those are your lead snap guys. Newsom 45. JOK 44. I know there was some like discussion about his snap count numbers going down. He was the leading linebacker snap player. Anthony Walker 40. Sione Taki Taki 32. Dalvin Tomlinson 37. So those are kind of the top of the board on those. So if you're looking at what they did to 
you know, Lamar Jackson, I think you can, you can look at it from the perspective of, you know, what kind of pressure did they put on him, right? So uh, from the other side, they blitzed him eight times, and he was four of eight for 67 yards. When he wasn't blitzed, nine of 15, 156, and two interceptions. But the pressure stuff was, like, like I said earlier, 11 pressures on those snaps, which was, which is phenomenal. And the 2.6 yards, uh, sorry, 2.6 seconds time to pressure, which is, which is just so, it's so strong. You know, that's, that's exactly what you want to, what you want to end up with. Right. So quick pressure messes with him. You get two turnover worthy plays out of Lamar. He throws 13 of 23, 56% completion, 223 yards. I just thought it was really strong overall from the collective group, how they defended him what they did coverage wise they played uh i think 27 snaps of cover 1 so they were very aggressive in their man looks and doing some different things spying him uh cover 0 a couple times so they really got after him with with nobody down near the goal line but they they'll they'll get super aggressive there and take risks cover 3 they played 14 times cover 2 they played 6 times and then they did not play any cover 6 and of course they're the one of the few teams that don't play quarters in the NFL so they were essentially who they are. They did not really deviate from that, and and I think that that is different than how they approached the first one when their zone percentage was higher than their man percentage. So playing 58% of man, 40% of zone in this game, I think it kind of messed with Baltimore. Even though a couple times Baltimore beat it, obviously the Odell touchdown was against man, and I thought they had opportunities downfield, but the front force pressure was so, so dis, just disjointed a lot of what Baltimore wanted to do in the run game. We already talked about how they, you know, were a .83 yards before contact team. It's so good. I mean, and that's even skewed by, you know, the Keaton Mitchell run that, that ends up breaking. I don't even know that anybody touched him on that one. So that skews the data a little bit. The Browns 70% defensive run success rate was, is, is just phenomenal. And obviously keeping uh, Lamar on a per drop back to negative .22 per drop back in EPA. That's, that's obviously really strong stuff all the way around. So run defense grades, Oak Ronquo with a 70, JOK with a 68, McLeod with a 67.5, Walker 66.2 at the bottom. Alex Wright, even though I thought he had some good reps, was a 38, Grant Delp at 47, Martin Emerson 49, Jordan Elliott at 50, Miles Garrett 53. You know, Grant Delp gets the, the, the tough mark there where he missed one tackle, but he had three stop tackles. JOK had three stop tackles, so those are the top of the group. Zadarius Smith had one. Taki Taki won. Uh, Anthony Walker and Rodney McLeod all had one stop tackle. I just thought they collectively were really good defending the run and against some challenging stuff that Baltimore likes to do against your man coverage. If you want more on that, what the collective group looked like, go watch Chalk Talk because it's worth your time. Uh, I thought the Browns were, were pretty dang good against one of the NFL's more deadly rushing attacks that have just been carving teams up lately. So, Kudos to them uh, for that performance. I should mention at the top, like best defensive grades, Greg Newsom gets the best one. Um, he was only uh, 11 yards allowed in coverage, one of two when thrown his direction, and obviously came up with a huge clutch interception and in the return off of it. He had a stop tackle, so he gets the 79.6, his best grade of the year. Mike Ford, spot duty, 28 snaps, 76.8. Obviously has the interception, which boosts things, but he played really well. Shelby Harris was a menace. In his snaps, 18 snaps to 75.3, including a pressure. Zadarius Smith, 72.4, with four total pressures, two hurries, a hit, and a sack in his day. Taki Taki is 70.8. Miles Garrett, 68.9, including four pressures, two sacks, two hurries. And then JOK had a 
including a pressure on his side and actually splitting a sack. He had four tackles, two stop tackles, sorry, um, two missed tackles. So the one was the Lamar uh, read that we, the zone read that we ended up talking about on Chalk Talk. He was there, you know, that, that missed tackle doesn't hurt anything. All, not all missed tackles are created equal. We've certainly talked about this, but they are going to ding your grade a little bit for that. He ends up with four stop tackles on the day. Miles Garrett had three. And then Ogbo Okoronkwo, Dalvin Tomlinson are your next two. Uh, Maurice Hurst right below that. The bad marks, Martin Emerson, who gave up 48 yards in coverage. I think he's, listen, Zay Flowers is a tough cover. And, and I think that that's something of note. It's trying, like, that's not the body type he's he's best against. So he was down there, 40, uh, 40.9 Alex Wright, 38.7 Jordan Elliott, a 35.2. And then they gave Denzel Ward, who just played nine total snaps, a 28.4. Um, you know, again, really hope Ronnie Stanley has to answer for that that dirty, dirty play because that was uh, just headhunting down crown of the helmet stuff that was just despicable. I hope they take care of that because that could have really hurt Denzel. Another concussion would have been awful, man. Just, uh, just an awful play. Pass rush, JOK gets the highest grade in four pass rush snaps. That's, that's low volume, 83.5. Shelby Harris, seven pass rush snaps, 82.0. Grant Delpit, 74.7. Your first real true like volume guy is Darius Smith, a 72.3. And Miles Garrett, 32 snaps, a 71.6. Okoronko only gets a 57.3 despite two pressures and having the tipped football that leads to the biggest play in the game for the defense, creating points, right? So a 57.3 for him. Jordan Elliott, 52.6 is down at the bottom. Um, and then Maurice Hurst, Dalvin Tomlinson, kind of your average grades, even though Tomlinson had three pressures in the game, and then Hurst had one as well. Coverage-wise, best coverage guys, Newsom and Ford, obviously interception players. Taki Taki, a 73.3, gets a strong grade. At the bottom, Emerson Ward, who we talked about. Thornhill's at the bottom. He gets a one of two for 18 yards on targets in his direction. Anthony Walker, 50. Delpit, a 50.7. But again, I, I mean, as far as defending the Ravens, I don't think we've seen many do as well, especially when you consider Grant Delpit's you know big chunk play for 44 yards to, to Mark Andrews was off of like a fluky collision where Andrews runs into the middle squat linebacker who's spying and kind of works the opposite. It was so weird. So I don't know, man. Grades and all that, pretty tricky. I thought the defense was stellar. 17 points given up to one of the hottest offenses in the NFL. You got to give him a giant pat on the back. Uh, special teams grades, um, I like to give out, you know, who plays the most. Matt Adams had 24 snaps, received a strong grade. Mike Ford, 19, and even stepping into the defense and doing that, phenomenal. DeAnthony Bell, Mahmoud Diabate, 18. Pierre Strong, 18. And then Tony Fields, 18. I thought the special teams were, were good. I mean, obviously the missed PAT, but at the end of the day, end up going in and making another kick, which is phenomenal to win the game. I thought coverage was pretty strong. Uh, they had one return for 33 yards from Pierre Strong. Obviously, the biggest special teams blunder was the drop punt from Prochet. He can't let that happen. Was really surprised to see that out of him, which is pretty uncharacteristic. So that's a bit of a bummer. The punting, Bjorquez, two punts, 89 yards. It's not his best booming kick situation of the week. He had, had a shorter punt early in the game. Um, he ends up with a 44.5 yards per attempt and only a 38.5 net because he did not have a very good one. I think it was his first punt uh, that wasn't, that wasn't connected on very well, but he only punted two times. The Browns, you know, drives midway through the second quarter on, like they, they were taking care of either you're kicking it to, to make it right. Like 
you know, they just weren't punting. Like they, they, they either, like I said, kicking field goals or scoring touchdowns. So that's what you want. That's very minimal. And then kickoff, seven kickoffs, two returned, 30 total yards, three touchbacks, two fair catches. So they were good in the kickoff game. But, yeah, I, mean, I can't say strongly enough how fun that win is and, and overcoming the odds. Now, with Pittsburgh coming to town, you know, Pittsburgh's thriving off of teams beating themselves. That's the whole thing that's going on and why they're 6-3. and three. They're being outgained weekly, but teams are beating themselves. Can the Browns stay away? from putting themselves behind the eight ball in some of these games, that's what we have to hope. You have to hope that they can start sooner and finish just as strong as they've been finishing. That's the formula. Because they're better. They're a better roster. They're a better team than the Pittsburgh Steelers. The good thing is it's at home, and hopefully they can take advantage and, and thrive off of that energy. And the Browns, as we know, outside of one game with Dorian Thompson-Robinson as their quarterback, have been a really strong home operation this year. So be there, be loud, be supportive, and hopefully the Browns get it done. We'll have more updates on Watson's ankle as details become available um, You know, throughout the next few days. That's obviously going to be really important, but uh, I expect him to be out there. I expect him to be playing. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think he's going to let this stop him after all he's overcome. So uh, it's just, just a wildly important 6-3 and three matchup between two teams fighting for every inch in a, a really tight AFC North, and then a really tight AFC playoff race. So it's just a crazy huge game. Can't wait for it. We're going to have plenty of coverage of that upcoming game in the next few days. So keep your eyes out for that. Get a mailbag on Wednesday. If you got some questions you want answered, fire them over. Love to answer them. And then we'll get with Jordan Zerman, do a little bit of that stuff, and then have it behind enemy lines on Friday. The formula is the formula. Let's hope the Browns can get to 7-3. and three. Thanks for stopping by today, guys. Have a great Tuesday, and go Browns. Go Browns.